Hi, this is Peter Rivera, and I'm the original drummer and lead singer of the group Rare Earth. We've had a long career, 50 years. We've played all over the world. We've recorded many, many albums and lots of hit singles. I'm going to talk about them all. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the stories. Well, even during the riots, we kept recording at Tara Sherma Studio. We were working with Mike Theodore and Dennis Coffey, who had gotten a deal with uh, Sussex Record uh, Production. And uh, we were working on all kinds of songs. They were really different. It was kind of a conceptual record. It was called Dreams Answers. and So we got through it. You know, from time to time over the years, we would, as a band, the Sunliners, we would take some money aside and would go in and would record uh, in, a, in a studio somewhere. Uh, well, we did something called like the Holly Gully Twist. And then we did uh, Little Girl Char- Sweet Little Girl Charm or Little Girl Charm. And, you know, we'd cut a record. And then actually we were all excited because we had this record. And, and uh, I still have some of those singles. And uh, they're just fun to look back on, you know, because each time we tried it. And so what we would do after we recorded the record, we would try to connect with radio stations. And uh, from time to time, we would get invited to come out and play at a radio station event. And, you know, in return for us playing, they would play our record just one time. (laughs) So we did it, and things went on like that until we hooked up with uh, Mike Theodore and Dennis Coffey, and then we were going to actually go into big studio and make a whole album, conceptual album. Uh, I remember uh, we got one of our records on a thing called Make It or Break It. Well, so they play the record, and then they want people to call in for Make It or Break It. Well... Naturally, we told everybody we knew, here's the number, call in, call in for Make It. Well, Make It or Break It's usually had like 33 Make It's and maybe 12 Break It's. We had like 380 Make It's and like five Break It's. And so, I mean, they knew, you know, that we were having our friends call. I guess that's what a lot of groups did, but that's what we did. It was kind of a crazy, fun time, you know, call up and all these three, four hundred make-its. I mean, amazing. So they had to play it a few times, cause, but they'd play it like at three in the morning or one thirty in the morning, you know. And record companies just wouldn't usually play a record like that unless it was on a label, a big label, uh, you know, because that's how their business is done, you know, so. We never, we struck out on that, but we played a few of these, you know, sock hops and uh, radio station events and kind of fun stuff, you know, but it never really went anywhere. And, and uh, anyways, it got me to thinking about all the stuff we used to do. And then eventually when we got into the nightclubs and we were playing, uh, uh, we made a connection with Motown. And I think I talked about that before, but, uh, so anyways, I'll fast forward. We, 
we signed a contract with Motown and we went into the studio for a week to do the Get Ready album. And uh, so when we signed, uh, Motown was going to move to California, Los Angeles. And there we were in Detroit and, and you know, what are we going to do? And uh, so the manager was telling us that we should all move to L.A. and things were starting to happen a little bit for us. And we thought, well, L.A. Well, some of us, we were divided on whether we wanted to go to L.A. or not. You know, John in particular, he did not want to move. You know, he had a couple of kids, wife, and he, this was his life and he didn't want to leave. And I didn't want to leave at first either because we kind of believe that if you go, you know, you leave Detroit and for some reason in our music there was an attitude, you maybe couldn't put your finger on it, but it was a, the way that we approached our music and our attitude within in that music and the fact that in, the, in Detroit in the wintertime when it was snow all over everything, you know, the only place we really wanted to be was indoors at a rehearsal hall. So we worked and worked and played and played and everything. And then when it came down to like moving to L.A., we were divided, like I said. And the feeling was that if we go to L.A., there's going to be possibly a lot of distractions, a lot of shiny object kind of things. And so when it came right down to it, that's when John left the band. And I mean, we had a couple hit records already, and we had been doing some shows and, and everything. Uh, there were some other things that figured into it too. We were on a we were on a show. I don't even remember where it was. Pretty big show. And shortly before we went on stage, word came in to our manager that John's mother had passed. So the big question was: Were we going to tell John? Or were we going to wait till after the show to tell John? Well, you know, I didn't want to be the, the delivery of the news person. And nobody else wanted to. We, were just, we just didn't know how to process all this. So the manager elected to tell John after the show. And so I, I don't remember the show. It went fine. It went well. I know that afterwards, when John was told of the news, he was pretty he was pretty bent up about it. I don't really think he was like real mad or disgusted with us, but you know, nevertheless, he was just feeling terrible. And 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 uh, so. Like I said, I, I don't remember exactly what happened. I mean, John went his own way then to, to get back to Detroit and, and, and do what he had to do with, you know, with regards to the whole passing of his mother. And I don't remember if, if we were still, I think we were all still in Detroit at the time. We went back and then when we decided to move to L.A., Motown had moved and we were going to go. And... I didn't know what to do. John was my really good bud, and, and man, you know, I thought maybe we should stay, and then I kind of vacillated. 
I didn't know. So I went to L.A. That was the majority of the band, and we were going to go to Los Angeles. And John didn't. He resigned at that time. And, uh, you know, I mean, we all felt real bad and couldn't really believe that John was going to just leave the group. But, you know, different people have different reasons for doing all the different things that they do. So that's the way it was. We went to L.A. and we were looking for uh, bass players. And different guys in the band knew certain bass players. I remember one bass player came in. He was a friend of somebody's in the band. I won't say who it doesn't really matter that much. But anyways, he came in to the rehearsal hall in, in L.A. and Studio Instrument Rentals, which is a world-renowned rehearsal facility in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a huge, huge complex of buildings, and they have all these full-blown rehearsal halls with stages and lights and everything, so you can, you know, you can practice your show and do all that. So we had a rehearsal hall rental for us and this guy come in on bass and uh he had like really good cocaine and i sat back and i thought well you know uh, it, it was supposed to be all around all about the bass playing not so much what other stuff you bring with you yeah and then somebody else came in had a different different kind of drug thing going on i mean the drug thing was starting to happen pretty heavily I'll tell you this, that when the Sunliners was back in Michigan and we were playing up at the Dells and Grandmothers, this is in East Lansing, uh, around, you know, the college there, you know, Michigan State, and um, we, somebody had put out this little uh, marijuana joint to us. And I think, you know, a couple guys, me included, we, we took a drag. And really nothing, you know, nothing happened. And the next week, this another joint came out. and Well, this time we, we waited till our last break of the night. Because after the break, we only had one 40-minute set left. So, okay, we thought, let's, let's partake. So we did, and all of a sudden, gee, that last set was like really interesting. <laughs> really didn't know what was happening, but it was interesting. So, okay, let's stay away from that. We got music to play here. Let's get out of that. Well, as time went on, uh, we would wait till the last break, and then a couple few guys would, okay, let's go in the back room and Toke up a little, okay, and then as the next few weeks went by, we went into the back room on our last break, like maybe on Thursday night and Saturday night, and then pretty soon it was like the last break, okay, of uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and so... You know, we were not hardcore drug users, but it was around and it was happening. And so we were doing some of that stuff, you know, and uh, uh, 
I just thought I'd tell you about that. It's kind of crazy when I look back on it now and I, I think about how, you know, uh, our clothing had changed. You know, every night we used to wear suits and ties and, you know, cufflinks and the whole thing. And uh, once uh, everybody started getting a little buzz going on and we're looking around at what's going on in life, you know, pretty soon we were, uh, okay, Let's lose the suit coats and let's wear turtlenecks. Okay, and some beads. So <laughs> we put beads around our neck and turtlenecks. And uh, Eventually we got to a point where somebody wore something completely different and then somebody else did that too. So we were evolving into what I don't know, but we were evolving. And it was kind of fun and interesting time. And, uh, you know, we... For some reason, there was a feeling like that something really cool was going to happen with our group. Uh, we had eventually, uh, excuse me for skipping around like this, but sometimes when I'm trying to recall everything that happened, I can recall so many things, but the time frame is a little bit confusing to me because I can't really think what I was doing on a one certain weeknight. 45 years ago but overall I'm telling you the story so I'm gonna keep going so there we were up in Lansing coming back and then we were gonna get booked back in Detroit at the Club Cliché and, and, and uh, the Rooster Tail and there was talk of of uh, Motown and, and maybe we were gonna get a chance to go in the studios and record and so, and then I was telling you about the, with the riots and with Mike Theodore, Dennis Coffey, and making the album called Dreams Answers. Well, so there we were. We had an album, you know, Dreams Answers. And uh, nobody played it. <laughs> nobody played anything. But and it was right about then that we had made this contact through... Uh, this hairdresser who was the partner of the guy that was managing us. And as I told before, I think I did, yeah, about the hairdresser doing the hair of Barry Gordy's ex-wife. And while he's doing hair, you know, he's talking about this band that he co-manages. So anyways, things started to get pretty cool down there in Detroit. And, uh, then we were moving to L.A. We went we went to Motown Studio in Detroit. I'm going to talk about that. One, two, three. Well, thanks for listening. My name is Peter Rivera, original lead singer, drummer of Rare Earth, and I really appreciate that you've listened to these podcasts. I hope you come back and check out more. I've got a lot ahead of us and a lot of the story for you, so come on back and hang with me for a while. I bring you flowers, baby, because you're the best. I'm going to treat you so much better than all the rest. I pull the chair out for you, open and close the door. 